Hello, welcome to Western Reaches, Tashi Station's grab bag podcast about um, all the books and games that Saf and I are uh, reading, playing, involved with currently. <laughs> hey Saf, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Good. Uh, so we've both been playing a lot of Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, Saf recently finished the Frozen Wilds, which was the first DLC. I'm currently kind of chugging through the end game of that DLC. So our main topic this week is going to be the Frozen Wilds. We are going to have spoilers at the end, but we'll point out when uh, when those are going to take place. So um, I've been reading numerous things, but I think the first one is near and dear to us and our listeners, which is uh, the newest Star Wars book. It is um, the novella collection Canto Bite, and we kind of haven't had like a format like this in the past, so it's four novellas in a novel-length hardback, which is neat. It's kind of, lately Del Rey has been doing different things with uh, from a certain point of view, and with this collection, kind of changing up their formats, which I, I'm interested in. So, Canto Bite is set in the sorry <laughs> Casino City. <laughs> Canto Bite is set in the Casino City, which we will see in the Last Jedi, and uh, the stories are all very a bit much about the sort of glamour of the city, but also what lurks underneath it. So, sort of um, this mob ish underworld happening on, on Canto Bite, and uh, I enjoyed it. It I would say it's like. It was hard to review this book because when I uh, was reading it, I enjoyed two of the four stories very much. But if I was going to give it like a 50%, that would be like, I'd be like a C grade, right? Like that would be bad. <laughs> and I, it's not a bad book, but I do think that you know, two of the stories are sort of more well constructed than the others. And I found myself giving it three out of five stars, but I'm still very conflicted on that, because three out of five doesn't sound like a lot, but the con- or doesn't sound like a really good score, but the content was so varied because the format is so unusual that I was kind of like, I want, I want my score to match up with what my review says in a way that like makes sense if you've read the whole review and kind of weigh the positives and negatives, so... It was uh, a little hard to decide how to think about this, but it was a fun book. It definitely kind of got me excited for The Last Jedi. Uh, The characters in the book are aliens that you can spot in some of the promotional material that's out already. You'll be able to see them, well, possibly, uh, you know, no real guarantees after some of the stuff we got with Rogue One, but you'll probably (laughs) be able to see these aliens in the movie. And, uh... Yeah, I was. I think if you you know generally read the Star Wars novels, if you go to them for plot, you know, for like expanding the movies, that's a good one to uh, to read. Saf, you have not read it yet, correct? No, but I'm really keen to just because alien characters. Yes, yes, so many alien characters <laughs> and like, so many alien women that don't. Um, there was one in particular who notes that she's like considered attractive for her species, but humans wouldn't really consider her attractive, which I thought was, like, an interesting kind of, like, you know, switching that up, right? Because so often it's, like, aliens that are, they look humanoid, and they're like, oh, they look attractive because they look human. But this was just like, no, human opinion doesn't really matter to her. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah, that was cool. So my other obsession, um, besides Star Wars right now, has been the His Dark Materials series by Phil Pullman. Uh, Saf, have you read these? Like, Yeah, I've read the, the original trilogy of them. 
Yeah, so I, I kind of kept them in the back of my head for a while. I hadn't reread them in a long time. So they were very, like, formative fantasy for me in that they're super unique and they're super well-written. But then I hadn't read them again as an adult. And I know that, like, they're very, um, sort of the critique of organized religion is very, it's not subtle. Like, it's just very blatantly, like, <laughs> no. the Catholic Church is evil in this universe. That so, gets very blatant in the last book, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, that doesn't, but like, I'm not offended by that, I'm not bothered by that in any way, but it's, like, I'm rereading it as an adult and with the current, um, the kind of different political climate that's going on, I wonder how it feels to read them as an adult. So I'm rereading the trilogy now, um, which is a very long way to get around to saying that Philip Pullman had a new book out um, called La Belle Sauvage, and I've read that one as well. And it's a prequel to The Golden Compass about a completely new character, and uh, it was fine. It was not nearly as um, fast-paced as the series. It was very, like, it's almost laborious in its description of this journey, uh, like, down a river, a flooded river. And the whole area, this whole area between Oxford and, like, the town in the north where the main kid lives has been flooded. So it's this very eerie, like, I feel like kids think about this a lot, too. Like, you just kind of imagine, I don't know if you ever did this, like, imagine, like, you're looking at your own driveway or whatever, and you think, like, oh, what would it look like if it was snowing? Or what would it look like if it flooded and I had to, like, paddle down my road? I don't know. Did you ever, like, imagine like that as a kid? Yeah, I definitely did do that a bit. Yeah. It had this very, like, sort of magical, like, essence of childhood thing going on. Hmm. But I did like it more as a return to that world and a return to his very charming, very, like, kindly British writing style. That's uh, such a good way to put it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, it's like listening to a story in a pub, you know, and like you're mm. warm. Um, so, and I, I, I liked it generally. Um, but it, the story itself didn't stick with me as much as my memories of that world and the things he did with Damon's in this book, because I love the like Damon idea. Like, you know, it's so, it's just so much fun to be like, what would your Damon be if you were like in this world? And the, there's one character in particular who's very creepy and very frightening. And he clearly has this like self hatred thing going on, which you can tell in his relationship with the daemon. And I kind of liked that Pullman always does his world building so well because he gets into the like nitty gritty of how would this world work and how would people have different relationships, different types of relationships in it. And this particular like interaction between this guy and his daemon was very like very creepy and but really good like world building. You kind of feel the like disgust in yourself. And I enjoyed that like you know, which <laughs> i guess sounds weird but it was the book elicited emotions there we go yeah i totally get that i still have like really i don't entirely vividly remember the original books but i have vivid memories of how i felt reading them especially when it came to stuff with the daemons because like um oh, what was her name like mrs coulter with her daemon they had a few like interactions that made me feel like afraid i guess um yes. of her as a person and also of her daemon and so yeah yeah i i vaguely remember what happens in the stories but the way he builds the world has always been the thing that's like stuck with me 
He has this ability to make you kind of feel what the characters are feeling and to internalize their social rules very quickly. Yeah. So, like, that idea of, like, you can't touch another person's statement because it's either, like, extremely intimate or extremely invasive, it becomes, like, kind of sinks into your mind really quickly. And, like, I'm uncomfortable, like, I am uncomfortable thinking about it, right, the way yeah. I would if I was thinking about, like, someone, like, you know, going after you with a knife or something. <laughs> and that's, like, that's so incredibly powerful. And as I'm rereading them, I'm trying to go, okay, how did he do this? Like, in what ways does he detail this society in order to make people feel like this? And I think the key is the detail. It's He is so much, um, sort of, you can tell that there's a lot of love for his world, but it's also a lot of intricacy. And he goes into detail about the sort of social um, constructs going on there, and kind of doesn't leave any stone unturned, even at the sentence level, and that's been very interesting. Yeah, it would be cool to reread those books, actually, because I haven't, I have them on my shelf and I haven't touched them in ages, but they were really good. So yeah, actually, I, I'm definitely playing on picking up La Belle Sauvage because I I want to read more, basically. <laughs> I'm actually not very far into The Golden Compass right now, so if you want to reread them, we can talk about them together. That would Ooh. probably be good. Not to, would, like, add more projects to our pile of projects, but if you I happen mean, to, that'd be fun. I need something to read while waiting for Horizon, so I'm not against that. <laughs> All right, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the other Horizon. I like how we're talking about both Horizons today. Yep. <laughs> yes. Horizon by Fran Wilde. Everyone yep. should read it. Yep. Yep. So, uh, multiple friends recommended me Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, uh, author of the famous or infamous uh, The Fault in Our Stars, and they said specifically that I should read it because one of the characters is a big Star Wars fan, and there are references, <laughs> yeah, there are references to things like Star Wars Rebels, and like she writes Star Wars fan fiction. And so I'm reading this, uh, so it's, it's, very quick, like, it, it's kind of light, um, and what I'm enjoying is the sort of feeling of recognition. So, like, I had this moment of, like, horror when I was reading this book because I went, like, oh, like, I know that, I recognize that Star Wars thing, or, like, I've had that experience, or, like, when I was a teenager, I felt like this, and then I went, like, oh, no, this is the Ready Player One experience. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Like, <laughs> like this is the, like that's the appeal that you see yourself in it, and not only do you see yourself in it, but you see like specific references and stuff. Mm. And so that's and unfortunately, like that that's not what the book is supposed to be about. The book is supposed to be about this. this uh, the main character has a lot of anxiety, and she has some like compulsive issues, and it's supposed to be about her like journey as a person with uh, mental illness. And it is about that. But unfortunately, that's just like, and, and she and I, like, I do appreciate that he is showing some symptoms that are not often shown. But that's kind of not what I'm getting out of it right now. <laughs> so um, I'm getting out of it things like the character who writes fan fiction. They do talk about that a lot. Like, she's con like, you know, she every conversation she kind of fits it in which is very realistic like that's like how like yeah. i and my friends talked a lot of times when we were young and sometimes also now and uh at one point she gets like hate mail from someone uh, because she ships she ships ray and chewbacca <laughs> and yeah <laughs> and like at first i was like 
that's no no who does like do people do that i don't and it's it's considered weird like in the context like, she knows it's unusual and they have these like lengthy conversations about why ray and chewbacca are perfect for each other and like it's it's great but the person somebody like sends her hate mail and she's like, oh, this person is, like, hating on my ship. They must be a Kylo stan. The words Kylo stan <laughs> oh appear god. in this novel. Oh, my god. And But the part that threw me out of it was that the Kylo stan is a man. And I went, like, wait, I don't know. Like, 90% of fan fiction is women. And, like, lots of Kylo fans are women. And, like, it really threw me out of it that this character, this, like, side, minor side character, was a guy. I don't know, like, does that strike you as strange? Yeah, that definitely would have gotten me, weirdly, if I was reading that. (laughs) And, like, I I acknowledge, like, I I was recommended this book on the strength of the way it portrays mental illness, and I acknowledge that all these, like, nitpicky things that I'm doing are not necessarily what I'm supposed to get out of this book. So, like, if this, like, means a lot to you, I really, like, support what it means to people, but I'm stuck on the Kylo stand. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I can't judge you, because I probably would be the exact same if I read this. So, I'm not, I'm, like, a quarter of the way through it. Um, it is, like, it, it goes quick. Like, I'd probably be reading it faster if I hadn't been so busy in the evenings lately. So, I do plan, like, once I finish it, I will revisit it and go okay like what was the sort of was the kylo stand my actual takeaway and hopefully it won't be <laughs> hopefully <laughs> yeah and then um i guess also on the subject of me when i was a teenager uh, i read halo legacy of onyx which is the newest halo book um simon schuster was kind enough to send me a review copy it's by nice. matt forbeck who wrote new blood and <laughs> wait, was New Blood the one I hated? Oh, that's yes. what I read recently. Was New Blood? <laughs> I'll talk about you, that next. I, you were talking about New Blood, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, same guy. Uh, I do think that New Blood um, prose was a little more distinct in New Blood than in Legacy of Onyx. But Legacy of Onyx is about a girl who wants to be not wants to be, but who admires Spartans going to the Onyx research facility where the researchers have now set up a multi-species high school and she, like, makes friends with, a, like, a Sangheili and an engineer and a grunt. Oh my god. <laughs> and, yeah, and, like, they, they, they hang out. Like, they literally hang out. And it's delightful. It's, like, I read Halo novels like they're beach reads, right? I read mm. them kind of because they're super relaxing, even though they're also, like, there's war and violence, and there is all of that in this book. But the, it was so, like, fun and so, like, escapist, right? And, like, I identify <laughs> with this kid, and I also want to have, like, alien friends, and, like, she goes to a martial arts class taught by Spartans. Oh my god! Like, yes! I, I would do that! Like, this is literally me! <laughs> right? Exactly! Liter- <laughs> she is literally me. So, I appreciate this book for that immensely, and cannot separate that opinion of it from any possible objective, yeah. like, literary criticism. It has a female grunt who hangs <gasps> out with a human and it's perfect a plus five stars 
I'm so excited to read that book now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you will. I, I I could literally mail it to you if you would like. That, am I allowed? Wait, I don't. Anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. Am I allowed to do that? I, I I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to do that. Go on. Tell me about not, your yeah. Halo book experience. Um. So yeah, I I started New Blood recently. I didn't. <laughs> I had a string of some bad choices with books. Um. I did not realize New Blood was about Buck, who I don't, I really don't like Buck, just because he's literally Nathan Fillion in the game. Like, no problem with Nathan Fillion as a person, no problem with, like, Buck as a character prior to this point, but when they put him in Halo and it's literally just Nathan Fillion's face and literally just Nathan Fillion, it made me so mad because it kept dragging me out of Halo. Um, and so I just have this desperate hatred for Buck now. And I started reading this book and I was like, this is from Buck's point of view. I already don't like this. And then it kept going and it just sounds more and more like Nathan Fillion the more I go. And like every single sentence has like cliched military slang shoved into it. And there was, I think one of my friends like Googled it and told me that the final sentence in it was like one of Nathan Fillion's catchphrases. And I was like, you know what? I'm giving up on this now because I know I'm just going to get really mad about it. Um... I don't think, like, no no hating on the book in particular, it's just that I, <laughs> there's no way I could have read this book without, like, wanting to throw my Kindle out a window because of my hatred for Buck and also just my dislike for people like, like, Nathan Fillion and um John Barrowman and stuff. Like, the way that creators bring them into their creations and then basically form the creation around them as a person and an actor and a, like a figure. Um, I really don't like it when that happens just personally. So new blood kind of felt like that to me. And I was like, Nope, Nope. I'm just going to move on and read something else instead. Yeah. I can see, I, I, I liked that book generally, but I can see why that if that grates on you, it's just going to like keep grating on you. Cause it's kind of like got one joke, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, I, I instead moved on to read Retrograde, which I don't even know why I requested so this at the library. <laughs> I don't remember if somebody recommended it to me or it was in like a newsletter or something, but I picked it up at the library. It was on hold for me and I was like, cool, this is a cool cover. It's got a lady astronaut on it. Um, and I started it. And at the start, I was like, you know what? This is just some boring, typical like dude writing sci-fi, trying to be cool kind of thing. It was average. It wasn't bad, but it was average. Um, and then I had a point where, which I did tweet about, if anyone follows me on Twitter, where the main character, who was a woman, it's from first person point of view of a woman, um, the thing that should have clued me in was when she started talking about how average she looked compared to the really hot, tall, blonde Russian astronaut, but that didn't that didn't get me. What did get me was when she started hmm. talking about like how the, I think, mission logo or something for the Mars colonization was a male astronaut, and apparently everyone threw a fit about it because it should have been a woman or whatever. Um, and she goes on about this whole thing, and she's like, yeah, it was stupid, blah, blah, blah. And then she says something about how Mars isn't sexist or patriarchal because even though most of the leaders are men, we have one we have we have one woman leader and also the men do most of the menial work and also a man does the laundry. And I was just like, Are you kidding me? You did not need to spend a whole page doing this. Like wow. you could have just said nothing. But instead you had to do the whole I'm not sexist because and I was just like, mmm. Mm. It's so stale, it's crumbling. It was like the book I like like I said, I managed to like not get turned off by the whole like oh this other woman's hotter than me and i'm just an average looking woman thing which men always write into sci-fi for some reason but this kind of kicked me out of it like 
I read the thing about the patch, the mission log or whatever, and I was like, this is stupid. This is really stupid. And I couldn't read it for a little while. And I picked it up again. And literally the next paragraph was like, a man does the laundry. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is just so bad. But I didn't stop there. For some reason, I kept reading it, mainly because I want to know, like, the core idea of the book is that it's like, what happens if when, like, this colonization mission of Mars, something goes wrong on Earth? Um, which is a really cool idea. And it would be really cool if the book actually went into that at all, instead of just like <laughs> not doing that. You know, they just lose Earth, instead deal with like other stuff. And then the, <laughs> the actual, Earth. I'm spoiling the book because nobody should read this book. The actual, like the things that destroyed Earth were robots, like an, an evil AI, which has now gone to Mars to try and like build itself a robot, whatever. I don't know, it was stupid. But <laughs> so I wanted to read it to find out what happened to Earth. So I read up to that point and they started like, they're like, we need to fight this evil AI. And then <laughs> the leader of the Chinese module quoted, unironically quoted the art of war. And I was like, you know what? No, I, this is it. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> that was what got me. <laughs> Can only take so much. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. I, I also called it being like an AI, like, a chapter before the reveal happened because yeah it's a bad book and apparently on like the author page the amazon page or something he said that he got sick of like people not writing competent sci-fi so he was like writing a competent hard sci-fi novel i'm like buddy you missed the mark on both competent and hard sci-fi so like please just chill out <laughs> that's unfortunate yeah so that yeah um so then i started the rift by Nina something, I don't remember her name, um, which is like a, it starts off as like a lovely British literary novel about a woman who loses her sister at a young age and then her sister comes back into her life. Uh, and then it gets real off the rails weird real quickly. Like I got recommended it by a friend who knows I love weird sci-fi. Um, and she's like, yeah, it's a really weird book. And I was like, okay, cool. And <laughs> so I started reading it and I, and I was just thinking that it just felt like really, really British literary kind of stuff. And then I, like, finished one chapter, started the next chapter, and the first sentence of that chapter just made me message my friend going, it got weird. Like, it has gotten weird. <laughs> In a good way? Yeah, it's... I still don't entirely understand what's happening, but it's gone very sci-fi. Um, it's gotten really weird, and I'm really curious how this book is actually going to, like, intertwine the previous part of the book with this new part of the book because it's very different i haven't actually finished it yet but the writing style is really cool like it's not bad it's it's not i wouldn't say it's cool cool but like it's really literary but now it's gotten into like literary weird sci-fi that's still like prosy um and kind of has a feel of old school fantasy in some way i don't know it's hard to describe Ooh. but i'm really enjoying it that sounds um, good do you think i would yeah. like it i don't know it's possible you might um let me finish it before i decide that actually okay <laughs> yeah um and then the one good book one good book the rift is pretty good but the one like <laughs> really good book i read recently was cloudbound which i started as soon as i got my hands on it i'm so because glad I was really all excited this is about like, leading up to that <laughs> Yes. I Yeah, I read Cloudbound and then went on to New Blood and Retrograde and I was like, what am I doing with myself? Um, yeah, and so Cloudbound is by Fran Wilde. It's the second book after Updraft and it's so good. It's just, it's so good. I got really jarred at the start because it has a different point of view character. Um, but 
in the end, I ended up liking Nat more because of that, because I didn't really like him that much after the first book. Uh, <laughs> so that was helpful. Um, yeah, I... Uh... The ending made me need Horizon. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it, uh... So yeah, it switches away, and when Kirit shows up again for the first time, like, she shows up, like, she was the hero of the first book, right? She was the Katniss, essentially. And she shows up, like, covered in blood and waving a spear and screaming. <laughs> like, that's her first scene. <laughs> I love her so I much. I love her so much. <laughs> and um, I, I sort of, I still don't like Nat as much as, as her, but um, you you messaged me kind of randomly with like, wait, is Nat in a poly relationship? And I was like, <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, he is. Um, what do you think about how they do, like, the relationships in this so far? Because the the book is extremely, like, I've never really come across a book that is so understated with its romantic relationships. Like, they are there, but they're not important in the slightest compared to everything else. And I... I, that confuses me because I'm not used to it, but I also really like it because it's it's exactly what I like often say that I want books to do, which is like, don't focus on the romance. And that's, so that's what the author did. Like, it's there, but she doesn't <laughs> focus on it the slightest. Yeah, no, I, I love how it's done. I really like it. Like, that's kind of how I like to write my own romance as well. Um, so I really, really enjoyed when I finally clicked to the fact that it was romance. Um, <laughs> for more than, like, one character, it started... It, it was just really cool because it is quite different to other things, but it feels more real. Like, in the real world, you see people have these interactions that are obviously romantic, but they don't, like, you don't spell them out as romantic, like, when you're talking to people or whatever. Like, you'll just see, like, a couple hold hands or just, like, someone brushing hair off someone's shoulder. Like, just really nice, caring things that you do because you love someone. Um, this book kind of shows those without being, like, obviously they love them, but in the action you see that they do love them and i really appreciate that it has a poly relationship that's just it's just there it's so good i'm so happy about it um and yeah even other ones in it it's just it it feels more human in a way in the way that she shows it i think yeah and she does that in she has another like a novella which also has like what might be a relationship and might not be and i think that's <laughs> kind of just how she writes but i i really i really like it and it really kind of I've never seen anything like it before. Hmm. I just love how she writes people so much. So yeah. Much. There's this sort of, I'm going to say it all the time that these books are underappreciated, but she has this almost like Anne Leckie kind of feeling for what comforts people and for how people yeah. ebb and flow in terms of energy, I think, which is something that like, I, I only said it now and kind of realized it, but she writes exhaustion really well, and she writes comfort yeah. really well. Yeah, I agree totally. And I think that's one of the reasons I like her so much, and it's one of the reasons I like Anne Leckie so much, is because, yeah, they really do capture that really well. I think it makes the people feel more like real humans. Um, and it's good because the characters make so many mistakes. Like, they, they screw up all the time, all of them, but they still all aren't like fully like awfully punished or sometimes they are but everything that happens makes sense and none of the characters end up like if somebody hates someone there's a good reason for it but there's also a good reason for them to not hate them later on if that makes sense yeah um yeah it's not it's very gray in the way that it's done but not in a bad way um yeah. and 
Ugh, it's so good. <laughs> and, like, that's a good point. Like, when you, you hear Grey, you often think, like, everyone's kind of, like, everyone's a little bit, um, I don't know, like, criminal isn't the right word, but, like, they're all sort of mean, right? Like, that, and that's not yeah. what it <laughs> means here. It, it means the, the book very on the surface, very in your face, talks about who makes the laws and how do laws affect the people that live under them. And, who should be punished for certain things. Like, it, that. that's, like, discussed. Like, that's the plot at some point. And, um, hmm. but within that, there is, like you said, that forgiveness and that, like, these characters make decisions that make sense for them. Like, Kira is really headstrong and Nat is kind of a little uncertain about his job, so he's, like, latching onto a mentor who isn't necessarily the best mentor for him. Like, all this stuff kind of shows how they grow and just, like, who they are as people. Yeah. And something I found interesting in this book, because I remember when you were talking to me about the first book, I think you were saying that it's kind of young adult, but not really. And I definitely agree with that with the first book, but this book has definitely moved on from that a lot, which is, and it doesn't feel weird at all that it has. Like I was reading it and at some point I was just like, oh yeah, this isn't really young adult anymore. Um, and I guess the first one wasn't really ever meant to be young adult. It just had a young main character, which is kind of how young adult happens, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It it was kind of cool seeing that growth with the characters. I guess that it moved on from feeling somewhat that genre to just moving on and feeling more adult as well. That's that's really interesting because I think you're uh, we both read quite a lot of young adult, but I think you're a little more well versed in it than I am in terms of like the definition of it and like the kind of the the definition of it outside sci-fi as well because like the stuff I read is young adult is like mostly sort of incidental but it's young adult the important part is that it's science <laughs> fiction or fantasy but because the yeah. first one very much had that like Hunger Games kind of plot where it's like one girl going up against a corrupt organization right and then yeah the, like you said Clownbound doesn't have that at all I don't think it has any content in it that like wouldn't be appropriate for an older teenager either Oh, but, yeah. So where, like, where did that distinction fall for you? Why did this one feel less young adult than the previous one? I think a large part of it is in Updraft. Uh, Carrot's quite a young girl. Um, it's her like coming of age story somewhat. It's her going from I'm I'm getting my wings to learning about her life and moving, growing into like her pre pre, pre potential. That's the word I want. Um, and also, like, it's got the two characters, CL and what's the other one's called? Mark. Mark, right? CL and yeah. Mark. Yeah. Uh, who are quite young, and she's got her kind of like rivalry person who's also like similar age to her. So a lot of the main characters are younger, um, and it's kind of her fight against an older authority, which is very young adult. Whereas in this novel, it's a lot more about their decisions, like Nat's decisions with his family as an adult. And um, yeah. it treats them a lot more like adults as opposed to. Uh, updraft which treated them as children this one treats them as equals to everybody else which I think might be is probably the biggest reason why this feels less young adult to me yeah that's a really good point because like Kirit's a little bit of an exception just because of her role in the first book but like Nat like <laughs> has a job and like has a child on the way like <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 I'm yeah so excited for the next book because the, yeah the I could not stop reading once I hit like the last few chapters of this one because it was so interesting and weird and cool and the moment it finished I checked the library to see how far away my hold was and it's still a little while away so I might actually end up just buying it so I can read it. There was an author or like a book reviewer whose name I do not remember right now but I follow them on Twitter and 
I wish I could find them again. Um, who described the book as having as like the altitude of the book was was stunning, and I was like, that's such a great way to describe it. Like, yeah, because it it kind of flip flops your view of the world entirely, and like geographically, right? And mm. yeah, yeah, we should I really have, like it when things do that. We should have an episode when you finish Horizon. Absolutely, it. yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's everything I've been reading recently. So very desperately hoping for Horizon. So speaking of Horizon, back to games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, the newest Destiny DLC came out uh, soon, and also recent. Or what? It, it's out now. You can purchase it now yes. if you want to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know how time works. And they've started season two of their content, right? So they've changed from just, oh, here's an ongoing game with DLC to, like, seasons that are going to change some of the gameplay and change some of the offerings. So we're in season two. Uh, Saf has joined us on Xbox for Destiny 2, which we haven't actually played together yet, but I'm very excited for that to potentially happen. Me too. It's definitely going to (laughs) happen. For you to come into the Destiny world. So... Uh, Curse of Osiris was good. I went through it with a couple friends in about two or three hours. So we were a bit over-leveled for it. Um, we were... It was really funny because it was, like, two warlocks and a titan. And we were, <laughs> like, to the T, we were acting like our classes. Like, Tom and I were kind of, like, hanging back. Like, he's very into the mechanics of the game. So he was like, okay, like, if I do this, like, what will happen? And I was just like, oh, like, look at the textures and, like... Here's how this connects to this, like, deep lore, right? Like, here's th- this thing from, like, Books of Sorrow could potentially be here, but if that happens, and whatever. And meanwhile, like, Kathy, who was our, our titan, was just like, guys, like, where are you guys? Like, she's, you know, three rooms ahead of us because she's going to shoot stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was, uh, it was really fun. And the, the story was okay. It was definitely a case of, like... It needed more in the cutscenes. It needed, like, just a couple more lines of dialogue or, like, a couple more cutscenes. Like, the story felt a little, like, there were a lot of threads dangled and none of them really, like, they didn't all tie together in the end. So, but overall, it was a lot of fun. I'm definitely, like, it would be hard to get me away from Destiny at this point. Um, So, (laughs) like, I didn't love it. It was not, like, my new favorite character or whatever, but uh, it was cool, so... Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, like, what your Destiny experience has been now? Because since yeah. we're in, in that? Yeah, it makes sense, too, now, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm I'm so excited to finally have Destiny. I managed to grab it because it was on sale on, like, a Black Friday sale here or something. Um, I got the first game, too, with all the DLC, which I will probably play eventually. Uh, Man, I was just like, it's $8. You'll, Why not? You'll really get to meet my favorite character. <laughs> Ooh, exciting. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so I've pretty much been playing Destiny uh, nonstop for a while because it's really good. Uh, I haven't actually finished the main campaign yet because I keep being distracted. I'm really close to the end. I'm like at the point where they're like, we need to go f- kill the bad guy. Um, and then I'm like, but what if I go do these other things instead and just run around and shoot more stuff? Uh, and I don't quite know, entirely know why I am not doing the final mission yet. I just think, I don't know. I go off to like finish off a... a place to do all the missions and things there and find all the loot and stuff around and then i get dragged like i notice a public event nearby so i'm like oh i'm gonna go shoot some things and that one ends and then another one's happening like just down the road so i'm like cool i'm gonna do that one instead and so i end up spending an hour just doing public events because 
why not? Um, I think, yeah, the thing that sucked me in the most with Destiny is it kind of, it, it plays like Halo because, you know, it's Bungie. Um, but it's just, it's so slick and shooting things is just so much fun. The gameplay is so fun. And it's it's just kind of like a really cool feeling to play alongside other people without having to deal with their voices or opinions. Um, so it feels like really collaborative and team-based, even though it's not really, um, which I think is why I like the public event so much. And... Yeah, it's just really fun. I don't really care about any of the characters so far. I like Cade <laughs> Six because he's really funny. Um, I like Failsafe a lot because she's amazing. But wait a second, but he's Nathan Fillion. I know! <laughs> he's fine, though, because he doesn't look like Nathan Fillion. <laughs> he looks I, like I a robot. I call shenanigans. <laughs> You're contradicting yeah. your own lore, Seth. <laughs> the worst thing is I was biased against him as well. And then he started talking and I was like, oh no, he is really funny. He's really funny. Um, so the entire miss- mission we to like get him back from the teleporter they stuck in was so good. I really enjoyed that. I think that was my favorite part of the game so far. And I really like Zavala, I think just because he's Lance Reddick. Um, <laughs> so I love his voice. Can't get away um, from Lance Reddick these days. He's in like three of my favorite things now. It's amazing. Um, and... <laughs> Ikora, I do not care about because I really don't. She, she doesn't give me anything so far. Um, but yeah, really into it. Now that I figured out, I've especially figured out how regional loot boxes work. So that's exciting. I've been going through and finding all of those now that I understand what that symbol on the map means. Um, yeah, it's been great. It's it's so much fun. I'm really excited. I'm probably going to get like finish the campaign this weekend and then get the expansion next week so I can play through that and then join everyone else at equal level. I was so mad because I finally hit level 20 and I was like, yeah, I'm at the cap level with everyone else. I look really cool. And then the next day they released the expansion. Everyone else when I logged on was 25 and I was like, god damn it. Oh no. <laughs> I finally caught up and now I can't level up until I get the expansion. So I'm just like, Ugh, one day. <laughs> It's the struggle. I do. I love Ikora, but that's because, like, again, like, Warlock at heart. Like, she kind of goes through some stuff that I was like, oh, that's, like, it's not super deep. Like, the writing's not, like, super tight. But Mm. it's like, oh, like, I can see how a person who, like, has her personality, who's, like, very intellectual, but also very, like, straightforward, like, would feel this way and would have to kind of, like, go through some stuff. So, yeah, I, um, I really like that. Um... Yeah, I'll be uh, interested to see what you think later on. And, uh... Yeah, the characters in Destiny 2... I had... I was very attached to Eris Morn from the original. And she's not in the second game at all. And so, therefore, my feeling... A chunk of my feelings have broken off and floated away. So, (laughs) I have to get them back. That is (laughs) unfortunate. Yes. So, I have to get them back at some point. Hopefully they bring in a character like that, or just bring her back. <laughs> they bring her back, because... Anyway, that's lore stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I also played uh, Assassin's Creed Origins a little bit more. Still haven't finished it. Still going through it real slow. I, like, spent about three hours trying to get the um, the cat armor. It's the cat goddess, and I don't remember her name right now. <laughs> oh, is it ba- Bast? Bast? Maybe? Best it? I don't, for some reason, I don't think that's the name that they used, but oh, I will remember. Oh. <laughs> um, it could be. Uh, but it's, like, got a cat head, and you have to... So the, the story was actually really kind of funny. It's, like, in, like, one of the first cities, you your friend works at a temple, and a lot of tourists come to the temple. And the monks, or the priests, I... I 
you know, the holy people put on a show for the tourists to like show off like these are our gods and this is like what they do and there's this dialogue in the background like yeah like we think this is kind of silly but they really the tourists really like it (laughs) so like (laughs) it was almost this like in-universe acknowledgement that like this these people aren't blindly faithful, like, they are faithful, and you get to see, like, them doing the ritual and stuff, but this particular ritual is, like, super flashy, and they know that it's really flashy, and that it's a guy dancing (laughs) around with a cat head on. So, I I thought that was, like, really clever, and the fight, though, what you have to do is, like, you in this ritual fight against this other guy, and I think I was a little under-leveled for it, which I didn't expect, because the mission beforehand was literally playing hide-and-seek with children, and, which was adorable. (laughs) Adorable. And I was like, oh, cool. Oh my God. So now we're doing the like cute family missions now. This like ritual thing should be pretty easy. No, it was, it, it was <laughs> very difficult. This, the other guy that they got to play, the other god, was not holding back. So I spent like three hours like on chat, just like chatting about something completely different, just like button mashing and getting used to the <laughs> controls. And I was, Tom recommended to me like switch it to the alternate control scheme because that's the control scheme they used in the original Assassin's Creed. And it's a lot smoother, even if like I didn't remember the original control scheme that well, but it was a lot smoother. So like, after that, I kind of eventually got this, but it's still this just like laborious process of fighting this man, <laughs> and uh, mm. I was rewarded with a cat outfit. So yeah, hey, you got a cat outfit. That's pretty good. I did, and I met Aya, um, Bayak's wife, who is also an assassin, who seems really cool. I don't know her very well <laughs> so far, but she seems cool. So that's my um, brief laborious progress in Assassin's Creed Origins. You playing it just makes it sound so much fun. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, it is fun. It's it's very pretty. It's uh, I can't, I can't get over Assassin's Creed crowd physics because like in um, Horizon, for example, Horizon Zero Dawn, not the book mm. by Fran Wilde. Um, if you if you walk through <laughs> crowds, people kind of move aside. Like they just kind of they've got hitboxes, you know, that just like gently like move aside. And um, yeah. in Assassin's Creed, it's obviously kind of like. There's the animation is super wobbly and they're they yell and like running through crowds in Assassin's Creed it's because you're supposed to be able to be spotted right like it's yeah. like you've got to be you got to try to be stealthy so if you don't try if you're just like casually walking around it's like you've like dropped bomb like civilians scream <laughs> if you like brush <laughs> butt like it's it's Assassin's Creed like walking physics is a little hilarious to me. <laughs> I used to, I think I played, I don't know, it was the first one or something, and I would just walk around just, like, bumping into people, because he'd, he'd put his hands up to, like, push them away, so it was just, like, he kind of looked like he was dancing if you did it right. <laughs> and, like, like I, I don't really, like, intend to sew chaos, but I just accidentally sew chaos, and that's funnier. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good. <laughs> yep, so, that's my Assassin's Creed experience. Yeah, um... Yeah, so I've been playing today, I just got today, uh, the new Reigns game, Her Majesty, uh, which is like the mobile, I think it's also on Steam and stuff, um, game, card game. It's kind of like Tinder, but you're a queen, and the swiping is making decisions about your kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very succinct way to put it. 
Yeah, it's basically what it is. You swipe left or right to make decisions. So like somebody will come and be like, my queen, the church has said blah, blah, blah. Do you agree? And you'll be like, yes or no. And if you say yes, the church will like what you said. Or if you say no, like the church will hate you, but maybe the people will like you. And so the point is to try and just live like as long as possible while achieving goals. And um, if you get like too good at like, if you fill up a certain bar too much, you die. And if you fill it down too low, you die. So it's kind of a careful balancing game of making people like you, but not making them like you too much which has been my greatest downfall so far, is making the people like me so much they keep killing me by accident. Um, yeah, wait, what, so what's the, like, what's the rationale for that? Why, if you're, um, like, if your popularity is too high, why, why is that a bad thing? Like, the people really want to see you, so they storm your gates and then trample you to death, basically. <laughs> oh, no. What yeah, and, um, yeah. yeah, and if you earn too much money, then your king is like, then the people, like, overthrow you because you've, you are a rich monarch and you're the worst or if you um get too strong military wise the king's like oh no we must flee because oh no he'll be like you've become too strong i need to lock you away so you can never do anything and so for the rest of your life you just get locked away and you die alone um (laughs) it's a really silly game it's really fun and like really it's really short to play as well um i have been playing it pretty much all day between like the random arbitrary disasters of my life i have been pulling out this game and just swiping around because it's so much fun um (laughs) i thoroughly recommend it as a mobile game i have no clue what it's like on steam but it's just a really good game just to pass the time and get a good laugh out of this game um yeah i really yeah i haven't been able to stop playing it which is a bit of a problem (laughs) (laughs) it does sound entertaining yeah it's really fun um because you can like hit on a bunch of different people and you can i think at the moment i'm trying to um if you get too high with the church they make you pass like a sainthood test and usually that kills you because you go days without water or something so you die of dehydration um so i my achievement is to like pass that so i'm trying to figure out a way to not die doing that and i keep dying doing it because i'm like i don't know what to do so hopefully i figure that out oh let saf ascend (laughs) (laughs) yeah it also has like some kind of creepy moments in it too which is good um so all over really really solid game i really like it and um, speaking of other exciting games, next week, maybe this week, depending on when the episode comes out, on um, Wednesday, New Zealand, Australia time, Roomu comes out, the robot game I talked about a while back, the, the Roomba vacuum game. I'm, I'm so excited, but I'm also terrified because it comes out the day of The Last Jedi here. So I'm going to play this game, ruin my emotions with a robot, and then go see The Last Jedi. So that's going to be great for me. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, lots of feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I, yep, I am very excited. I like. I feel like I need to play Rumu just so like I can experience that with you. You, I think you should play it. I think you should definitely play it. Cool. All right. So I think in that case we're on to our main topic and talk about Horizon Zero Dawn forever. So this will be a spoiler section for both the main game because. Well, I was going to say it takes place after the DLC takes place after the main game, but like not necessarily. We'll discuss that anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, there will be spoilers for the main game. There will be spoilers for the DLC. So if you are interested in playing it and don't mind spoilers, please go ahead. But especially if you like haven't played the first one and are interested in some of the secrets of the world, uh, maybe pass on this for now. Yeah. So, the Frozen Wilds takes us into the Cut, which is a northern area that's current, 
present-day Yellowstone Park, and Aloy has to go find out what's going on. Uh, there's a, an ecological disaster that's causing machines to become corrupt and causing, like, volcanic eruptions. And the cut is a region between Banuk lands and the the other, like, lands that we've known in the DLC. So I was so happy to hear about this, like, when it was first <laughs> announced, because the Banuk are just, like, my favorite. Like, I love their, their like, aesthetic. So I was really excited for this. Um, I... I guess I'm going to go and, like, put this on to USAF because I, I feel like I've, like, talked about this a lot, that I just generally um, enjoyed the story, but I had some major, like, questions, qualms, problems with the very end of the story. So, like, I I think it was fun to play. Um, I think if you like the first one, you'll like this. But there were parts at the end, especially, where I was just like, it doesn't jive with the rest of the game. So, I don't know. Does that, like, anything in particular that you want to talk about in the story before we get on to my, like, bullet points here? And, and do you did you feel the same way at all about, like, the the end? <laughs> I did, but I couldn't place entirely why, because it's been a while since I've played the main game. Um, so I was like, this feels not quite right, but I don't know why it doesn't feel quite right. Uh, so I'm interested to hear your bullet points. I Yeah, the story was really good. It was very narrative-driven, like as a whole, which was made sense because you're in a small area um, and it's in a story expansion, um, which I enjoyed, I think. And the side quests and stuff also felt more story-driven than previously, which was also really good. I really like this new area. Uh, I remember walking in and seeing one of those like rainbow pools and being like, oh, it's like in Yellowstone because I kind of forgot that Horizon's in America. And at some point they mentioned Yellowstone. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, yeah, that that makes so much sense. <laughs> so much sense. Um, yeah, it was, like, so, that so was, cool to be able to see the pools and the geysers and stuff. Yes. The moment I opened the map and saw, like, the big one, I was like, I need to go swim in that right now. Yes. So I made a beeline to that pool to swim in the pool. <laughs> I was thinking, so when I opened the map, like, you get your first couple quests around the, the song's edge part, right? And then you mm-hmm. can kind of go wherever you want. And I was like, I bet if they, like, tracked where players went, everybody's going to go straight for that pool because like Probably, that's what yeah, i did it, yeah, <laughs> it looks like, so cool on the map too yeah and it's like smack in the middle of the map <laughs> like that's what yeah. i did i remember the when you first walk into that area and it's snowing and you see the volcano it's just so gorgeous it was amazing i really liked that uh i also am slightly terrified of volcanoes so i was also like please do not make me go to the volcano even though i knew that it would um turns out volcanoes less scary in games so it was fine <laughs> and it's beautiful, like the whole like yeah. the smoke rising to the sky. And so I guess yeah. like what um the so the thing that like kind of put me on edge about this is that uh, I kept kind of having to remind myself that like this was not Banner, right? Banner is the cap the capital or like the main region of the Banuk tribe. Like this is not that. This is like an outpost essentially. And so this is not, like, Aloy is not, you know, becoming, like, the leader of the entire Banuk tribe. But there was still this, like, I had to keep reminding myself of that because Aloy is clearly, like, so much more powerful than the people around her. (laughs) And she, like, I kind of, it was a little more, like, which parts of this are actually Aloy's story, which parts of this are her just, like, 
intruding on somebody else's story and in a way that like I didn't feel that with the main game but maybe because I had been reading some of the criticism of like the appropriation aspects of this that I was like really like keeping an eye out for that and I couldn't help but think that Aloy very much like falls upward in this game like she's constantly like saying I don't really want to do that like she expresses her own discomfort but characters still kind of like she she fails upward, right? So she says, like, I don't I don't want to, like, take over your job, but I have to because plot reasons. Mm. And I thought some of that could have been done with a bit more grace and a bit more um, subtlety. Uh, the – and it sort of left me wondering, like, like, what is Aloy's actual emotional stake in this? And I guess her stake is Cyan, right? Like, we learn about the, this new AI. And Cyan was delightful. Like, she reads poetry. Like, she's adorable. <sighs> yeah. But we also got Aurea, who is like a, a, a... I can never pronounce it correctly. A shaman? And she uh, has this, like, like very familial relationship with Cyan. And at the end, Aurea dies. Like, sacrifices herself Ugh. for... Cyan. And the whole time the story was leading up to that, I was kind of like, Horizon's not going to do this, right? Like, Horizon's entire thing, its entire, like, modus operandi is that it was two or three, depending on how you do the calculations, women saved the world, right? It was Aloy and Elizabeth's, like, abilities save the world. And it, it's always struck me as very, like, and they explicitly say in the first game, like, the power of nurturing and the power of, like, team building is, like, it, it's what they're imbued with, right? And so in this one, I was like, they're not going to kill Aurea. Like, of all things, this series is not going to kill the one other main female character in the, the main core group, right? Like, there are plenty in the side characters, but the, she was the one in the core group. And... So the whole time I was thinking, like, okay, how are they going to get out of this? And then they, like, didn't get out of it. And I felt that instead of being a, um, like, a something that improved the story of the original, it kind of, like, repeated the story of the original. Like, it, there's Elizabeth and Gaia, and then Aurea and Cyan have, like, very similar, like, arcs, where they kind of, like, died for each other. And I, I didn't, I don't know, I, I didn't want it to happen again. I just felt like... Can we not like have the 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 woman and the woman who's very much coded as like sort of native Alaskan? Like, can we not do that? So yeah, yeah. So that was that was weird. And yeah. did, does that like help clarify at all what you were thinking? Yeah, yeah, it does. I was definitely having issues with the because I did see Aurea dying coming. Like, it's they don't make it subtle that she's in no. that role. Um, Which is why I was yeah. hoping that, like, oh, they're making it so obvious that there must be a twist. With, like, yeah, Camille. that's what I was doing too. I was like, surely they haven't made this obvious to the killer. And then as we know, and I was like, no, no, you, ha- you can't kill her. And then right at the end when she, like, she didn't die, and I was like, cool, yeah, we're all gonna be good. And then she died, and I was like, damn it, god damn it. <laughs> like, I can't believe this. I was so mad as I got through and the like- rest of that part. <laughs> And, like, I, I believe that, like, the friendship between Cyan and Araya is so strong that, like, Araya would sacrifice herself for Cyan. Like, I don't, like, I have no problem with that as, like, yeah. a character motivation thing. It's the fact that it's such a trope that's the problem. And the thing that killed her wasn't even, like, that, like, good of a reason for her to die anyways. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, wait, why? Why does that work that way? Yeah, it felt like a last minute kind of 
this we need to kill her this is how we're gonna do it kind of thing it was it didn't feel fulfilling in the way that it happened and it was too predictable and it was also yeah this game doesn't feel like it should be the game where this happens like maybe they could have just called air attack instead or something like come on like do something different yeah, and that's sort of what I expected, too. I expected Artok to, like, sacrifice himself for Aurea or something, or for them to have some kind yeah. of, like, reconciliation. Because there's, there's a lot of conversation. Like, the dialogue is very good in this game. The dialogue, like, really tries, right? Um, yeah. You can tell that Artok and Aurea kind of don't understand each other. Like, they, like, they ex- it's that it's sort of really interesting because it's like you get their perspectives on each other and because you get both and Aloy's perspective, you can see where the two don't match up. And I mm-hmm. wanted I wanted some kind of reconciliation between them and it just it wasn't possible. Yeah, the closure was basically her dying and him being like, Well, guess she's dead now and we were both terrible sometimes and I was like, Okay, <laughs> sure, yeah. whatever. That's true, yeah. And all, yeah, all which of I that, don't like. Yeah. And all of that left me wondering, like, again, like, why is this not Artok and Araya's story. Like, why? What part of this is Aloy's story? And amusingly, the, the thing that I kept coming back to is that, well, like, she needs the information, right? Like, she needs the information about Cyan. And we've also got this whole inf- thing about the information about Silen's history. And mm. that, to me, was like, I'm so biased, because I love Silence. Like, he's the worst, <laughs> but I love yep. him. Yep, same. Yeah, because he's just, like, this totally... Um, amoral, like, super scientific, like, nerd who just wants to find stuff out and is gonna, like, you know, steal and lie his way into doing that. And I just, I think he's great. And Aloy gets the chance to ask about him several times. And I didn't expect that. I thought that, like, because it's, like, he came from somewhere in the North. We don't know where exactly, but somewhere. So I expected, like, there'll be a mention of that somewhere in this DLC, mm. but they're probably not going to reveal that much. But no, there's, like, three different conversations where she can be like, hmm, so have you heard about this guy? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I loved it. Yeah, I... Didn't expect that much silence either, but I was also expecting a little bit, just because you have that conversation with him heading into the area. Yeah, um, yeah, well, after I that... I didn't expect to actually hear, like, because you can talk to Aurea about him a bit later on, and she explains some of his past that she knows off to you, and I was like, wow, I didn't actually expect to learn anything from this. Mm-hmm. After that conversation is when I was like, oh, maybe we will get, in at least something at the beginning and something at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I love him so much. He's so awful, but he's just so great. He plays the role in the game that I wish I was playing. Wait, what, like, ex- what do you mean by that? Like, like I, I want to play this game as like I just want to know more about like the the machines oh, yeah, and yeah. all that stuff. Like, I am, I am a okay in this game as like destroying stuff and <laughs> ruining people's lives just to get more information about the past and the machines because I find that really interesting. Um, oh man! And yeah. <laughs> see, oh, see, now you've made it metafictional, and now I love it even more <laughs> because, like, yeah, because like he doesn't care about Aloy's story; he just wants the the the, the lore. <laughs> Yeah, right. that's basically how I play this game. <laughs> yeah, like same. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's an app like after you learn like some of his history, he that last conversation with Aloy is like because he just shuts down. He's just like, I'm I'm not gonna talk about this. We're not gonna have this conversation. I'm not gonna corroborate any of this. <laughs> and Aloy's like, Okay, great. Thanks for that. See you later. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> like she says she's so used to having him around now that she's just like mm-hmm. I kind of knew you'd be like this. We'll talk later. Like I love it. 
Yeah, I really appreciate that. I'm really excited for if they do another game and they it's going to be about silence, probably. Um, I, I really want to know more about him because I really took him as a character. And I love his and Aloy's relationship so much because it's just like they don't actually like each other. They just need each other for it. It's so good. Yeah. And the way they like, I feel like there's other like relationships that do that, that like they need they don't like each other, but they need each other. But like this one actually makes that convincing because mm. you see exactly how like their skills complement each other and how. They kind of, um, like, he's unable to do the things that she can do, and that's, like, like built up this sort of, like, half of his life has been about trying to find out the stuff that she's know- she knows now, right? Yeah. So that, like, connection was really convincing to me, because it was so, like, I mean, and again, this goes back to, like, I relate to him, right? Because he's super logical. <laughs> yeah. It's a very logical relationship. Yeah. Um, speaking of earlier, when you were saying like about this being Aloy's story, like what isn't it isn't her her story. Um, there's one like side quest in the game where you have to go find uh, a hunter, or like they, you go talk to someone. They're like, "Oh, our hunter or whatever who's doing this challenge to get into our clan. What are they called there? Ah, the the Werax. Yeah, to get into a Werak and they haven't returned and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I'm going to find them for you. And they're like, ah, that's not really our way. And she's like, I don't care. I'm going to do this for you. And then you get a quest. Um, so my favorite way of getting quests is the character's like, ah, we really don't care if you do this. And Aloy's like, of course I'm going to do it. Thank you for the quest. Um, <laughs> because same, I do that too. Uh, but like in that quest, you go up to find this person and you find their friend who is worried or possibly girlfriend. No, not girlfriend, but like they seem to have quite strong feelings. Um, yeah. But yeah so you find her and she's like yeah she's she's hurt and she won't let me help her blah 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 like this is our way this is how it works and Aloy's like I don't care and then marches in and does everything for them and like save this person's life and then when that's over this character is I can't remember either of their names I'm the worst but she's like this is not how this works like I should have died this this is not our way and so she's still alive and everything but Aloy kind of overrode everybody's uh agency and didn't respect their views or their culture or their religion or their view like anything about them and was like I saved a life that's all that matters and then everybody else is just like you ruined everything like even the characters she helped like this character's alive and the other one's happy that she's alive but also she's never going to see her again and everyone's sad and it's bad Yeah. yeah exactly um and I think that's such a good example of how Aloy kind of works in this game a lot. Like, especially with Araya and Aratak as well. She kind of just marches in with no respect for their culture or their relationship or anything, just doing what she sees as the best thing to do. Um, and it it's kind of interesting because I don't know if the game entirely <laughs> wants to frame, like, her doing that as questionable. Um, like she doesn't tend to get questioned as a character or questions herself. Like she doesn't reflect on doing these things and getting the outcome she gets. Uh, she's just like, whatever, I saved your life. You should be thankful kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that entire mission made me feel kind of weird. Like that side quest made me feel kind of weird because on one hand, like, yes, I would save someone's life and help them if machines wanted to kill them. But on the other hand, like this was her choice as an adult for what she wanted to do and it wasn't really somebody else's decision to say no to her for that um like it's it's a it's a hard thing to figure out and like in real life it would be a really tough situation but in this game it's weird and it kind of exemplifies that whole thing that Aloy does yeah and I think the that kind of goes back to what I was saying with how the game kind of toes the line it's almost self-aware it's like yeah we're almost going to address the way she is a like 
white person walking into a, like, Native Alaskan-coded society. Because she does have, like, a couple conversations with, with Araya, where Araya says, like, you have to, like, you have to defeat Aratak, right? You have to, like, take his leadership role. And Aloy's like, I don't think I should do that. Like, she never mm. outright comes out. It's more like she doesn't want to do that. She's like, I don't want to be a leader of ever of anything. I've had my own bad experiences with, like, cultish leadership figures, um, several bad experiences. And she doesn't, she's like, I'm not, I don't need to do that. If you guys would just let me help you as, like, a fellow hunter, I could we could solve this problem and no one would have to like dethrone anyone. And uh, Araya is kind of like, we, but that's not how it works. Like, but you got to follow our rules yeah. and our rules say the Werak follows the leader. And it was very like muddled in terms of whether they were trying to say Aloy feels uncomfortable about this or whether they were trying to say, Aloy feels uncomfortable because of her specific experience with the Nora, but this is actually fine. Yeah. And, like, I wanted them to come down more on, like, a hard line about yeah. that. And it's hard to know whether or not the game is, like, Aloy's actually right and the Banook are stupid, or, like, the Banook are right and Aloy's just, like, not sure what to do, because it doesn't ever really come to a conclusion on that itself, and it never quite tries to make you feel like Aloy's, Aloy might be in the wrong with what she's doing. Like, everything she does kind of gets framed as the right thing in the long run, even if it's not the right thing for some people. Um, which, yeah, because she is white and running into, like, areas that are coded as non-white it's it's questionable at times um and it feels like yeah i don't know like kind of weirdly religiously and culturally insensitive even though these aren't real cultures or religions in this game obviously it feels like it it kind of like if you're doing the right thing it doesn't matter what anybody else's culture says um which you know it could be could be true or could be not true but Aloy is kind of afraid, like, I've noticed how kind of selfish Aloy is just in this DLC. Like, previously I was kind of like, she does do stupid things, but, you know, she's doing the, she's doing what she thinks is right. But in this one, characters do explicitly say to her, like, this is not how we work and what you're doing is not wrong. We don't like it. And she's like, nah, it's good. We're good. It's, everything's fine. Yeah. And I do think that there's like, I almost felt like the, maybe the writer was different or yeah. the writer had a different plan than in the first game because they do try to address like, there's like in universe racism, right? Like there's Karja who are like, these Banuk are so primitive. And like, <laughs> there's kind of like in universe commentary where like, you're obviously like as Aloy, she's supposed to be able to see like, no, you're all kind of equally bickery and like, you're all kind of equally like you have good things about your culture and bad things about your culture. Like, she, she kind of sees it from outside, which, like, now that I say it, is, like, kind of placing her as a default, which isn't really a good thing either. But, like, the game tries. The, the two things that I kind of kept in mind there is the, this is not Banner, right? Like, I imagine yeah. if, if we ever go to, like, the Banu capital city, there, people won't be so eager to, like, let Aloy solve their problems. Yeah, that would be um, interesting to see, actually. Her, her yeah. facing up against that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And there was that specific, um, like, the thing that you kind of learn about the Banuk, right, is that they don't want to ask for help, like, as, yeah. like, culturally, that they're, it's sort of not done, right? And um, that almost made me, like, reflect on Silence behavior, too, because he is very reluctant to ask for help, and, like, he's very, like, um, 
straightforward and very sort of pushy and but at the same time um like has to ask for help because that's what the mission is <laughs> and sort of complains about it so I was like oh that's really cool like you can see that like he has this uh, this underpinning still even though he's not necessarily like, from that culture anymore right so yeah. I was like that that's like that's an interesting like they went to the the difficult like of making this like underpinning to their psychology but that doesn't that doesn't erase the fact that it's also like very like Aloy's um beliefs are not really questioned so i it, it all comes down to, like okay what's in the next game and it also comes down to your personal like level of like comfort with this stuff yeah. too like if if it's uncomfortable for you as a person that might be like you know that's that might be an issue yeah i think um there was the other one of the other big side quests that you get where you have to track down the three hunters that like didn't give oh, what's his name burgund or something like that yeah yeah uh he they give him like a half of a <laughs> thunder jaw heart and he's like they need to give me other stuff please go find them for me i swear i actually care about them kind of thing um and that was my favorite side quest, I think, in the entire game, because it's just so funny. I was actually laughing out yeah. loud at it. And yeah. on the other hand, where she kind of marches in on these uh, Banuk who don't want to... Um, you don't want her help and refuse it and she still helps and whatever and everything kind of goes bad. These ones don't want her help and she forces her way in and then in the end, like, she actually does help them. Like, she helps them understand themselves and understand their grief and move on while also having a hilarious ride with these, like, funny people. Um, and that that quest was kind of showing where she can go right with the way that she acts here. Like, it just depends, I guess, on the person she's interacting with and how they feel about their own culture. But that was such a good side quest. It was just so well written and just so well done. I I was really impressed by it. Yeah, that one was really funny. And that was like those characters felt so real, right? Even though mm. we weren't with them for a, a lot of time. Yeah, um, I wanted their quest to keep going because it was so good. My favorite side quest was probably the one... Um, I had to look up her name, but it's Laulai, the one who... The drummer. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love um, her. That was a really good one too, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and like, not even about the gameplay, like the gameplay itself was like it was fine but some of her dialogue was really beautiful like the mm. whole thing had been that um the she played the pipes in an ancient dam and it echoed throughout this whole valley and the dam released the water so it's all underwater now and she talks about how like i you know this was like this was how i expressed myself and i can't do that anymore and she's having these like sort of deep existential questions in the one line that I really loved was like, what's the point of joy if there's no one left to hear it or something? It was like, mm. like when, when the waters recede, like what if, if there's no one here to hear it, then like, it's, it's like the, it was this big question of like, what are you when you are not even when you're like an artist without an audience. Right. But like, what is the sort of the purpose of human expression if everything is ultimately like just coming coming to a close? It's like what is the purpose of to me and I I might start projecting here, but it's like what is the purpose of art and expression when like you know your life will eventually end? Like 
Mm. The, the world as you know it will eventually end. Like, it was very, it really got to me in the same way that the end of Horizon Zero Dawn did with its discussion of, like, climate change and how people can deal with these catastrophes. And it was really, like, the scale was enormous. It was like, we're yeah. going to discuss, like, what humanity is <laughs> right now. <laughs> and uh, it was really good. Yeah, and... Also, her saying that kind of talking about that goes so well with the um, what's it called? Like, is plastic garden? No, that's something else. Whatever the band was called, uh, concrete oh, beach party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, because um, that's kind of the point of their thing is that they were a band that existed for a brief time and they recorded one song basically, and you can find it, and they're gone now, and all that's left of them is just this, these few recordings um, and her talking like that is kind of like showing that these people back before the world ended had like this fleeting thing that they probably thought was never going to exist again and then you find it and you can kind of have your own joy from that as well like thousands of years later and um, the whole thing of Lao Lai's story like with her and also with what's inside of the dam was just really touching I think um, mm-hmm. and also later on if you talk to Cyan she bring she can bring up the the band and saying that she listened to the whole discography and really liked them and I was like that's so cute and I'm really happy right now. Yeah, that was that was really thematic because too the song was called like last girls in the world or something yeah. because they were like the last people in the park. There was all this like really interesting like political stuff about what happened to the park and there's like a little aside about how the park is being developed. It's being used for like they're storing military drones there, but like also everyone has universal health care in the yeah. United States. <laughs> and like so the like, universal basic income I think as well. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, no, you're right, that's, I'm saying healthcare, because it's, like, <laughs> a thing right now, but you're right, it's basic income, yeah, yeah. which right now seems like, you know, pie in the sky for America. <laughs> that's some but... crazy socialism stuff there. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> it was like, what has happened politically? But it yeah. was, it was really interesting, and that mission, um, with the exception of the, the one Osaram character, who, like, honestly kind of annoyed me i was kind of like why are you here i honestly kind of love him he's so stupid but he tries so hard to not be that's true that's true like he was funny but i was kind of like why um but it's all other than him it's all women it's yeah lao lai aloy and this band and uh cyan potentially so it was like this great um kind of theme of like women's storytelling and resilience and human resiliency and i enjoyed it immensely yeah as much as i may not enjoy the main story of this dlc all of the side quests are just so good i'm so impressed by the side quest writing in this game even the like fetch quests right so the yeah you pick up these animal figures and the guy the npc that you take them to (laughs) is like this nerd who's studying extinct animals and like it could have been really sad because it's all about like these are extinct animals but he's so excited about them and is like has all these theories for like this is why foxes are red and like it's all totally wrong (laughs) and like he's so cute (laughs) like he's wonderful and i hope he lives a long and happy life (laughs) he can't like the way he talks about um injured recreations yes 
Yeah. Well, he talks about, like, it's a name, like, it's a title, yeah, and he's like, I hope to one day be one too, and I'm like, oh, buddy, that's so cute. You're yeah. so wrong, but that's so cute. Yeah, because it's, <sighs> yeah, it's recreations. Yeah. <laughs> one like... of the best, yeah, one of the best side quests in any game ever, I think, like, fetch quests, just because you get so much out of it. It's so yeah. great. That's one thing I haven't done yet. I haven't gotten Enju recreations, all of his animal figures yet. Yeah, I think I'm missing one, yeah. And I haven't killed all the frost claws, which is a nice transition <laughs> into talking yeah. about gameplay. <laughs> yep. Um, so I'm currently on, there's two missions left, and then, then I'm done. Then all I have to do is like clear out items and stuff. And they're kill all the frost claws, which are these enormous bear, they're just bear robots, right? And then <sighs> yep. the claws beneath, which is like a level, I think it's the highest level uh, mission. Oh, it's like I a did level that 50 one. Mission. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I um, did my usual tactic of <laughs> jumping up every gap in the collision box I can find on the mountain until I'm too high <laughs> for things to attack me. <laughs> nice. Well, that's what I was trying to do with, like, that. I'll have to find it because that area is, like, super wide open. But, yeah, so the I'm doing the Frost Claws now. And, like, it's really fun. It's that mission. So it's, like, these, these bears, right? They just, like, soak up, like, arrows. And... There's four, there's five of them. So I was like, this is going to take forever and it's going to be boring and it's going to be a slog. But each of them is in a different kind of arena. Like one is in an area with a lot of tramplers, which are just like these huge machines. So I was trying to fight all of them at once at first. And then I was like, wait a second, like I can override the tramplers and then they'll attack the frost claw. <laughs> and <sighs> smart. Yeah, so that was, like, super fun. And then there was another one where you have a couple human allies, and then there was one where there's actually two frost claws in the same area, but it's, like, a, like a bowl-shaped arena, so you can, like, put traps around the side and stuff. So that even has been basically more fun than it needed to be. Right? Like, I would have done <laughs> it even if the areas weren't all that interesting, but the areas are really interesting. So... In general, I think uh, it's funny, uh, several of the reviews uh, wrote, because I did a, a review for Den of Geek for this, and then so I read several other reviewers, uh, all talked about these quality of life functions, and, like, everybody <laughs> used the same phrase, quality of life. <laughs> okay. I, like, I, you know, like, the, the embargo was at the same time, like, nobody was looking at anybody else's <laughs> review and going, it was like that, that's, that. Improves my life. <laughs> yep. It's like ability to, to grab resources while you're on a mount. Like ability oh to my repair God. overridden machines. Like super useful stuff. And being able to um, disassemble stuff now. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. So all of those A plus good quality of life fixes. Um, we can talk about new machines. Um, they're scary. <laughs> the, oh my god! Yeah, the Scorcher was the first. I don't actually. I don't know if I've talked about this before. When I got the review material, one of the emails that because they gave you these these emails with like guides for like you know here's like the basics of how to play in case you. <laughs> In case you don't know, so they don't miss anything. One of them was written from the point of view of a scorcher. Oh my god! <laughs> and it was full of fire puns, <laughs> and <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely notable. It was memorable marketing, that's for sure. <laughs> oh my god, that's good. Yes. So the scorchers and frost claws and maybe a couple other new machines. I don't remember. And then like the corrupted tier, which are just like heart or not corrupted. Uh, Demonic, Demonic yeah. which is like the one tier above corruption. So oh, I hate them. I hate those towers. Just oh, oh my gosh, this game 
these new machines all are the worst. Like the moment I saw that there were, I when I got to the new area, I checked the notebook obviously to be like, how many new machines are there? I saw five, and I was like, oh no! Turns out one of the slots is just like the the corrupted, the demonic machines in general, which makes sense. And then two of them are just like reskinned. <laughs> elemental yeah. of the same yeah. machine um but it was still terrifying walking into the area and being like what are these new machines i don't know and i'm terrified and you encounter the scorcher really early on and it just runs out there just comes at you and you're just like oh no <laughs> yep <laughs> yep and and yeah, yeah. and yeah the frost claws are also terrifying um because i think the first time you see it is like you're jumping onto something and you're like grab it a ledge and then it kind of appears underneath you and you're like what is that giant thing and then you you've made it straight away and i did not expect it to be as nimble as it is i thought i was going to be safe on my ledge shooting it i was like yeah i won't be able to jump machines usually can't jump it'll be fine it can't jump and then it jumped up and pushed me off a cliff and killed me and i was like oh, oh damn no. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're they're tough and the towers are creepy the like oh the sound of them yes. is so scary Yes, because they are so organic looking, mm. and but in a like unnatural way, and that's like my favorite thing, right? Like so yeah. was like super unnatural robotic like organisms, like I love that. So this like definitely had that like robot horror kind of aspect to it. Mm. I remember the first time I heard the sounds, and I I was just terrified of crossing the hill to see what it was. Um, even walking up, like, whenever I hear them, I just kind of get shivers. I killed them all as quickly as possible to stop making sure I would run into the sound. Um, they're freaky as heck. And, yeah, all of the new machines are just kind of, like, terrifying in their own way. <laughs> I hate I hate Frostclaws so much. I can handle Scorches pretty well now, but Frostclaws still get me because they're really fast, and they're really strong, and even if you disable all of, like, the ice sacks on them, they can still do an ice attack on you, um... Which I discovered multiple times because I do the thing where I get really high so they can't reach me. And I was shooting it and I got all of its ice things off. So I was like, it's fine. It can notice me and want to kill me, but it won't be able to now. Turns out, still can hit you with ice and knock you off a cliff and kill you. Um, still the only way I've died in this game is by falling off of things. <laughs> still. <laughs> you never, like, never died from a machine. No, the only way a machine has killed me is by pushing me off a cliff so that I die from falling. I mean, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, I'm kind of like, I hope that this lasts for me forever, but it's also frustrating when it happens, because I would rather the the Frostclaw just kill me than push me off of something. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. That's one day, they, one day um, I'm gonna, yeah. Yeah, I've been swapping between the elemental attacks and just, like, tons of arrows. I was so pleased when I figured out that I could stick other machines on them. So it's like, that's oh, it, that's yeah. the key. Um... Yeah, unfortunately those um I don't know what they're called, the the deer ones do not last long against them. <laughs> no, no, they do not. Well it took out a ravager. One of the frost claws has got a ravager. Oh. Like six swipes. Yeah, Bloody. they are so strong. They are genuinely terrifying. I am one day I'm gonna play this whole game again on like the super hard mode. Um and I am genuinely terrified for when I get up to the frost claws in that mode because they will kill me multiple yeah. times. I can't imagine. Hmm. I have not been as scared of a, of a beast, of a machine in this game, except for rock breakers, because I hate rock breakers, until I met a frost claw and saw its capabilities. I mean, so, like, glint hawks are the worst, because they're annoying, but yeah, rock hawks breakers are, annoying. are the most frightening to me. Oh, I hate them so much. I've only fought the two that I've had to fight for story reasons, <laughs> otherwise I haven't touched anything. Well, story reasons, I say quest reasons, but you know. Yeah. 
So anything else you want to talk about in terms of gameplay? Like there were, there's an additional cauldron. Um, there are like, you can swim in hot springs, there which is? is awesome. Well, the, the, the one at the end, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Long. That's right. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add about that? Um, still don't love Horizon's boss design. Um, like the design for the boss battles, largely just because they don't let me climb up to tall places where <laughs> I can shoot things from. Um, Can't cheat zero out of ten. I tried so hard to like get past collision boxes in the final kind of arena area for the final boss. Nothing I could do. The only place I could find that was high enough that I felt protected had an invisible wall in front of it, so I can't couldn't shoot anything out of it, and I was so mad. <laughs> Horizon, how dare you! How dare. That actually reminds me, um, I didn't even put this on my list. Uh, <laughs> this is an, an oversight. Um, <laughs> we're gonna talk about this on Blaster Cannon, I'm sure, but, like, Battlefront 2 also had a lot of, like, needless invisible walls. Like, there would be oh, areas yeah. where Battlefront 2 had a, it was a really great 15 minutes of the campaign, the rest of the campaign was okay. That's my really quick review. But, um, <laughs> so, the, uh, it would have, like, like corridors that look open, but you just can't walk into them. And that's how they did their like, you know, limiting the size of the maps in the campaign. And that bothered me. So <laughs> that's I don't not, think, that's not a good way to do it. Yeah. No, I don't think it was that egregious with horizon. No, yeah. it, it was genuinely the invisible walls are where you shouldn't actually be, but that was where I wanted to be anyway. So I was still mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, our, as our last thing about uh, the Frozen Wilds, I've had a couple people ask me if you get the DLC as with the, the main game, right? You can buy them as a pack now. Mm. When do you play the DLC? And my answer before was, like, kind of after, like, you can start it before you finish the main quest, the main plot, but mm. you're probably going to end up finishing it afterward because of leveling stuff. Do you agree with that? Like, when do you think players should start, like, going into the, the, this area? Yeah, design-wise, it's definitely a late game um, area because those machines are really tough. It's not a, like, early level game. Um, like, it's lore and story-wise, it should be quite near the end of the game. But, like... <laughs> enjoying it wise after finishing the main game might be a good idea unless you're playing it on like easy or story mode or something then you'll probably find to do it before the like end of the game um but yeah it definitely should sit somewhere near the end because it's it's a lot of ties into a lot of that stuff really well yeah and like plot yeah. wise i think it makes more sense if you play it after you like know what Hades is, and, like, you know what Gaia is and stuff. Yeah, I have a feeling um, the score... I don't know, does... I guess the whole level opens up to you the moment you get into the whole world, because that's just kind of how Horizon works. Um, I don't actually know how it works when you have the whole game, but I assume whether or not it's open for you from when once you get out of Mother's whatever, the Scorcher kind of acts as a level gate somewhat, because that's right at the start, and you can't really avoid it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that thing is tough. For sure. I think that's, like, that's clever. And it, with the dialogue, too, I was like, wait, so if this takes place after the end of the game, like, would Silence call her if this took place after the very end of the game? I don't know. But that's, I think like... lore-wise, it does sit just before the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the machines are still doing their thing, and 
I guess also because the game doesn't technically have an in-game state. Oh, that's like that's a good point. The machines yeah. are still like you know rabid, sort of. So that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So for me, yeah, it sat like lore wise before the end of the game. But because I was playing after the end of the game, I saw like, well, now I have all the knowledge of the end of the game. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a hard, it's a weird place for a DLC. To, it kind of felt like Citadel a bit. Like it's part of the main game, like in Mass Effect Three, it's part of the main game, but it still feels kind of removed from the game because you played it after you already finished the game. Um, yeah. 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 Definitely do not play it too early because it, you will die. Yeah. <laughs> you just you won't be able to. Yeah. <laughs> So that's my uh, general thoughts about that. Like, really good. Some kind of questions were raised and not answered. But uh, mm-hmm. generally, I still like I like this world a lot. It's gorgeous. So, yes. yeah, I think that's oh about gosh. it. Yeah, same here. I just want I just want more Horizon so much. Next time we reconvene, I'll try to remember to talk more about Battlefront too. <laughs> yeah, I've actually played a bit of that, so I can chime in a bit. Yes, and we'll be after the last Jedi, so maybe <gasps> we'll our yes. lives will have changed. Oh my God, they will have. Yep. Oh my God. So, uh, for more Star Wars content, you can check out Tashi <laughs> Station. <laughs> yep. And yep. So uh, you can find us online at uh, Western underscore Reaches on Twitter. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts. Um, and on Tashi Station. Uh, Saf, where can people find you? You can find me online at Wanderlusten, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-A-N on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at my saf- site, not safework.com, uh, and I'm around on toshistation.net and other places, I guess. Cool. And so my like hub is Twitter at blog full of words. My most recent prose is up on Den of Geek. My most recent like fiction is uh, a twine game called Breach, where you can play as a reptilian alien in an exploding spaceship. So if you're interested in that, um, check that out too. Right. Uh, have a good night, Saf. You too. Day? What time? What time? Have a good, Saf. Thank you. Have Bye. a good as well. <laughs> oh, and, and don't, don't forget, forget the Western Reaches. <laughs> yes, good. <laughs>